Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Squawk Pod. You'll get interviews, behind-the-scenes access, and much more. Uh, get it wherever you get your podcast. It might be even better because uh, it's only audio, so you don't have to deal with you know any any of the other things. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, Boeing may halt production of the 737 MAX and the ripple effects could be large. Then there's going to be a succession story that I think we haven't had yet. Investor Mohammed El Arian says caution is key to phase one of the China trade deal. Those who extrapolate this to me a long, durable, comprehensive trade deal are wrong. And astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson on the space race. It's kind of a wild west. Yeah, it's, it, I think it will shake itself out, but it will require sort of international agreement and cooperation. Those stories plus a throwback from our guest, Joanne Lippman. This is the Wall Street Journal from 1998. Oh this God. is a cover story by... Becky Quick. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Monday, December 16th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up on this Monday podcast, our top corporate story centers on, once again, aerospace giant Boeing and the troubled 737 MAX. Boeing shares falling. The Wall Street Journal reporting the company is now considering either suspending or cutting back production of the 737 MAX and could announce a decision as soon as today. The board began a regularly scheduled meeting yesterday that is set to continue today. And just last week, the head of the FAA told us right here on Squawk Box that the 737 MAX wouldn't be cleared to fly before the end of the year. How many times have you heard me say that we're not on any timeline? Uh, We're going to follow every step of the process, uh, however long that takes. U.S. regulars then warned Boeing that it had been setting unrealistic expectations for the jet to return to service. Further production cuts would inflate Boeing's costs and take a toll on financial results as fixed expenses would be split among fewer planes. The ability to effectively amortize all of those costs. And it would also be a, a real pushback on, on the company and uh, on the company's CEO. So that's I a, mean, that's to a, me, if, they, if there really is a production halt, then, they're gonna, then there's going to be a succession story that I think we haven't had yet. Well, the ripple effects You'd of what that imagine. means, not only for Boeing, but yes. all their suppliers along yeah. the way. Um, that, that's a, a much... The reason you, you, you halt it, you're, I mean, you, you're just... You know, you're blowing money if you keep making them and you're not sending them out, right? Right, I mean, and, and, and this, it's also a recognition that their timeline that Boeing had been right. hoping for is not the timeline that the FAA is working on. We heard that loud and clear from the FAA administrator on this show last week, mm-hmm. and this is the ripple effect of what happens from that. So this is a stealth rally in the Dow then today, up 65 Relative to a 12-point gain that you're looking at for the S&P 500 in the futures this morning, well, so just that's why that it's holding it back. U.S. trade rep Robert Lighthizer saying the phase one deal with China is, in his words, totally done. It will nearly double U.S. exports, he says, to China over the next two years. Questions still remain, obviously, about some of the details of the deal and the timeline for beginning phase two talks, which could actually, they're saying, start immediately and now they could come in stages. So that's what I'm excited about is that the stage two may have a three or four stages that we can agonize over the details of. (laughs) 
That's my question. Has anything changed? I know we've put off the tariffs for now. But well, that's still kind of a, a ceasefire. On. This was the good case scenario right. from the market's perspective, I think. But we don't know the details of the IP stuff. Some, uh, some that's, people, what, that's the thing. Like, I, they keep saying this is a finalized deal. Show us the details. Some people are saying that some of the things that China had already agreed to in recent years in terms of that they're going to like shuffle them around and <laughs> so, you know, here it is. change the language <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. bit, put it, you know, put it up here and down here and put the other stuff that was down here back up here. Right. Um, I don't know. Um, markets like it anyway. Eunice Yoon joins us now. Still a lot of question marks. I went, got on the phone. I've been talking to a lot of people today. And um, uh, most of the people I talk to are either government linked or are close to the, the negotiations, but a bit outside. And they all think that in terms of the tariff rollback, that there is no real disagreement and that the, the U.S. understanding is that there would be removals of tariffs, but it's based on conditions, whereas the Chinese believe we are going to meet those conditions. So therefore, at some point, there will be a phase out. Okay. But, but, you know, it's just to put a, a finer point on this. All the sources that you talk to are on the Chinese side of the negotiating table because the idea of those rollbacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, we haven't heard anything about the rollback of the additional tariffs. And I'm guessing that might be one of the things that might have gotten lost in translation in this. Yeah, no, that that was one of the points. And so, um, again, like I, when, I, when I was I was talking to a lot of people on the Chinese side, and so their understanding was that it's kind of linguistic that when you say phase out, that the reason why the Chinese officials, when they said it was going to be a phase out, it's going to be step by step. And then um, later, Lighthizer had said, no, actually, we have not agreed to a future rollback, that, again, it's all based on conditions so that the U.S., would would allow for a removal of tariffs, but only if the Chinese meet the conditions. But then the Chinese think, well, we are going to meet the conditions, so of course there's going to be a phase out. So then it's not really so different in their their understanding of what's going to happen. So do you think it's really lost in translation, or do you think they really understand the translation and they just want it to be one way, and the other and the other side wants it to be another? Well, we agree to disagree, right? That's what detente's all about. We may not see eye to eye on things, but we're not going to continue to ratchet things up. Right? No, I understand the that. I, I, the reason I ask is we just we talk about the sort of rationalization of the language, and is it you think it this way, and I think it, is it they don't understand? I think they just don't want to understand, or the other side, or we don't want to understand, or whatever it is. I want to ask Eunice one more thing. So Eunice. The, the second major um, sort of tete-a-tete with, a, with a, a soccer or with a sports league uh, is happening over there now. Again, that's, yeah, that's right. after the NBA. And these are, I'm told, some, this was a big game. Arsenal uh, against Manchester City, the marquee matchup of the week. And it just... Wilf? Yeah. No, I didn't talk to Will, but I know, I'm thinking I'm channeling him. And so this, this, <laughs> this uh, player actually... Just mentioned the Uyghurs. He's Muslim, I think, and, and that, so they immediately pulled that off the airways, right? And they're pulling us yeah, off the airways right, right he now. He is German, Turkish. Yeah, he's he's German of Turkish origin. He is Muslim, and he is a midfielder for you know um, for Arsenal, and he has a massive population on Twitter. So he tweeted in Turkish. Um, that his support for the Uyghurs and criticizing Beijing for the crackdown on the, this Muslim minority population and also criticizing Muslims at large for the silence, the collective silence. So that had that just um, got a very strong reaction from Beijing. Uh, the state, as you were talking about, the state TV, um, the broadcaster CCTV dropped the game 
So there were a lot of people, I mean, as you know, like just with the NBA, there are a lot of football fans here. People were looking forward to it. Um, the, the, the signal, the, the decision was that the broadcast wouldn't, wouldn't happen. And then the Chinese Football Association came out and said they were outraged. There was a lot of discussion online. State media was putting out several different editorials. But I had quite a bit of money on that Arsenal, Manchester City. Uh, $20? No, I didn't. I'm not betting on soccer yet. It hasn't come that way. Women's uh, NCAA. Uh, but did? not Almost. Almost, because there's some big, the good teams win, cover there. I saw it. I was like, I wonder if I'm looking at it, because I had such a bad day yesterday. Anyway, thanks, Eunice. Uh, talking, I don't even want to talk about it. Jumanji, the next level. Top the weekend box office, bringing in a better than expected $60.1 million. The sequel stars Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart. Uh, Disney's Frozen 2 was second, bringing in $19.2 million in its fourth week. The movie's global total crossed the $1 billion mark. That's Disney's uh, sixth movie to hit that milestone just this year. And it was a disappointing opening for Clint Eastwood's Richard Jewell. Uh, the movie debuted with just $5 million in the U.S., it's Eastwood's take on the real-life story of that security guard who was initially celebrated as a hero for saving lives after the bombing in Atlanta at the 1996 Olympics, but then vilified when he became an FBI target and was uh, reported as a suspect by uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to see that movie. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution, by the way, going after the movie because of the, because of the way the uh, female reporter was being treated, uh, played by Olivia Wilde. I did see Giamanti. We were talking about it before. By the way, Max Sorkin really did like the movie. Uh, did you like the first one? I, li- I mean, I, with the Robin Williams version. Oh, no, of this, I, I like, mean, the first one of this. This is Jumanji, the second go around with no, The Rock. No, and, I know, I know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going back to the original classic. That was, that was my taste. I, you know, I, as kid movies go, I was okay with both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, was, I don't want to say it was, it was bad. I just, it, I didn't. It was lo- a kid movie. It was a kid movie. Yeah. I, I didn't. Uh, but, but boy, did Max Orkin like it. So. You prefer adult movie. movies, adult films. I mean, in the Clint Eastwood what, what, what else? What else? What else would I be talking about? I know you. Too well. You do not know me. Know you. you don't like kids' movies. You like adult films. That's, we've talked about that many, many. I've, I've heard you say that many, many times. Um, I know you all too well, my friend. Uh, all too well. The second week of the trial surrounding the potential merger of T-Mobile and Sprint kicking off this morning. At the heart of the debate is what will happen to consumers' phone bills. And joining us right now to talk about that, a little bit of a weekend tech wrap-up, are our CNBC contributors Joanne Littman from the Institute for Advanced Study and Ed Lee, New York Times media reporter. What are you expecting to happen this week in court? I mean, well, now they're getting into the, to the, the defense side. They're right. presenting their arguments. You know what? So when you're refereeing the judge on the sidelines during the, it, you never win, right? You're never going to figure out exactly right. which way it's going to go. They did present the plaintiffs did present interesting arguments more recently, where it came out that Timo Sprint, even though they're going to lower their prices, they've made a commitment to do so. Device promotion might not might go away. In other words, your devices might be more expensive. And therefore, right. the whole bill becomes more expensive. That's exactly right. Look, when you have fewer companies, you know, the law of economics tells you your prices will go up. So it's a really hard argument to Is make. Is that absolutely true? Because there are instances where if you have, in this case, I could argue Verizon, AT&T are in one business. Right. And you could argue that T-Mobile and Sprint are in effectively another business in terms of even the kind of consumers that they're trying to cater to. And 
part of the issue is that there's not been enough competition, or at least argument. The argument is there hasn't well, been enough competition been, on AT&T and Verizon. Well, I think... And, and is this going to give you more competition for those two? I mean, I think that's the, the real question. Look, do you, do you, first of all, do we know of anyone who's really happy with their cell phone service? Do we? I mean, you know. I'm, not so, I'm on Verizon at the moment, and I'm not so unhappy. <laughs> You're not complaining? <laughs> I just I mean, mean, no, I'm not so unhappy. So there is an argument to be made on the other side. I that wish it was cheaper, but we all wish everything was cheaper. We, everything could be cheaper. The thing is, cell phone bills actually have gone down a little bit in the last few years, largely because of saturation in the market, right? Uh, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, these guys, AT&T, they've just been sort of stealing market share away from each other. Well, wait, the way someone gets, doing, someone gets a bill? Hmm? <laughs> Someone gets There's a, a bill. bill. There's, There's a bill, a bill. Involved. Yeah, you, there is you a probably bill get involved. Um, no, he's a work. Yeah, he has a work phone. Uh, I'm gonna, very satisfied. We're going to switch gears <laughs> awesome. uh, for a moment. I have props. I want to show you some historical perspective. That's true. This is this is the Wall Street Journal from 1998. Oh my this God. is a cover story by Becky Quick. I remember and Joanne. About this is about what is called. What this may be the first e-Christmas, and it is about Amazon. And at that time, at that time when she wrote this story, all e-commerce was less than one percent of all Christmas retail sales. And um, and and in the story, there's questions. She has a how-to guide on how to buy things on Amazon. You know what? I should, make, I should read, read that now. That's actually good. I, I actually, like, what, was but, it 20 years ago? But, but what, what is remotable is, is this is 1998. Is this all true? You can do all this? That yes. In 1998, when Be- Becky, awesome. Becky wrote this amazing story in 1998, but what's really interesting is it wasn't that long afterward that Amazon actually got into cloud computing, that Amazon started ripping off products. No one anticipated, not the retailers, not the competitors, not the open source source. Nobody anticipated that it was going to get its tentacles into everything so quickly. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks for bringing it. Thank Thank you you for bringing the article. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, noted economist Mohamed El Arian understands the phase one trade deal's positive reception in the markets, but it might not be for long. I don't think it's going to lead to a pickup in business investment. I think that the uncertainty is still out there. Three, this two, is Squawk Pod. One, up and Andrew, Q. Welcome back to uh, Squawk Box right here on CNBC this morning. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan in studio this morning sharing his thoughts on the markets, the trade agreement. We're going to get to that in just a second. Much, much more is Mohamed Alarian, Allianz's chief economic officer and friend of the show. And it's good to see you, sir. Thank, Thank you for you. being Thanks here. Thanks for having me. Our next conversation is with a man you might hear from frequently in the business world or definitely here on Squawk Box, Mohamed El Arian. He's the chief economic advisor at Allianz, the corporate parent of PIMCO, and he's also about to become the head of Queen's College in Cambridge, the patroness of which is, of course, Her Majesty, the Queen. There's a photo of the two shaking hands if you Google it, and if we're lucky, maybe an El Arian cameo is in store for The Crown Season 25. Mohammed's off-screen credentials go on and on, but what makes him so interesting to all of us here on Squawk and to all of his 220-something thousand Twitter followers? His economic outlook from before the financial crisis, throughout the downturn, and now in the after. 
Back in 2009, he coined the term the new normal to describe what he expected to be a prolonged period of slow growth in highly developed countries. It's a concept that has its own Wikipedia page now because that's the pinnacle of recognition. At any rate, he's a fixture of business news both on CNBC and elsewhere. Here's Mohammed El Aryan with Joe, Becky, Andrew, and Mary Lovely, economics professor at Syracuse. Mohammed, remember long ago you had the scenario of what could happen from the uh, from the trade deal. This is in the 60% that you talked about. Something, uh, it's sort of an incremental, uh, almost a truce, but something that, that can be signed and we can say something happened at least, right? What, 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 explain what you said the first time around. So, correct, it's a truce, and it was the high probability outcome. 60% that we had something that was kind of okay, but not earth-shattering. Right, and that number kept on going up over time. I think you've got to remember two points when you look at this. The first one is yet another constructive short-term factor for the markets, added to massive liquidity, added to good numbers out of China, added to the service sector holding up in Europe, and added to positive technical. So that's good. But importantly, those who extrapolate this to mean a long, durable, comprehensive trade deal are wrong. The most likely next step is further tensions. And all we're getting here is in both sides' interest to just have a truce for the short term. I think, uh, Professor, you echo uh, Mohammed's comments, I think, to some extent. This, it, it, at least we can say that this is a ceasefire, which is a positive uh, for the markets. Absolutely. It's like when you stop slapping yourself in the face. Right. Uh, things are getting better. Hopefully we'll see a big, uh, big pickup, hopefully, in business investment, which is crucial for, of course, the future. Um, but there's, there's also a lot of, uh, as he said, a lot of concerns that are just a little bit farther out on the horizon. The, the other things that are happening, the, the IP that, that we, you know, it's kind of nebulous. It's almost a black box that there's some things that, uh, that were agreed to. What do you, what do you think... Uh, that means? What, what is the actual, is there meat on the bone for, for anything with IP or any of the intransigent, uh, intransigent issues that, that we were after? Well, China has been working on these for a while. Uh, not only IP protection and, protect, and changing the way uh, cases are uh, settled or adjudicated within China, having a, an ability of firms to appeal to a higher authority, especially when they feel that their technology is being uh, taken by local governments or uh, government-affiliated firms. So that's, on the, that's already on the way. Uh, another thing is, of course, the new foreign investment law that took place in January, uh, which raised criminal penalties for uh, stealing technology. So these things were in the works. Uh, phase two is going to have much harder items, including industrial subsidies and broader market access for American companies, which I think is something that uh, many companies are talking a lot about and really need. They need to get into the market to be able to play on a level playing field. So when we step back, years, uh, look at this years from now, if we step back and look at this, this whole uh, incident, will it be a positive in, in U.S.-China relations or, or for the United States, do you think, Professor? No, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, we're, we still have tariffs on a lot of businesses. Small and medium enterprises in particular are suffering. They don't have the resources to hire high-powered firms to get the exclusions that they need. 
the world trading system has been hurt. The U.S. has officially said it's okay to have huge state-directed purchases to us. I mean, where are the Chinese going to put all these new farm goods and exports? It clearly means they have to sort of change where they're shopping. So that means that other countries are going to be cut out of these deals. And, you know, the U.S. is the leader of the global rules-based system here, just sort of sold it down the Sold it down the pike. Right. So we should not. Are you in the camp that we should have confronted China just differently or not confronted them at all? I think we should have uh, confronted them differently. This was just a brute force. We didn't think about where the key issues are, where are the key pressure points. We didn't get anywhere for a long time. So, I I mean, that's what I always hear. So I see which camp you're in. I'm just not sure I agree with it. Anyway, um, Mohammed, what do you think? Will this be looked back at as as a positive? uh, I think it's going to be looked back as a ceasefire that was in the short term domestic interests politically of both sides, it will not be viewed... Should we have opened up this whole incident, this whole uh, trade war? Should oh, yeah, you've heard me say from day one, so absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. The only thing I would have done differently is bring Europe on and have, have a united front. You can't get That's them to you, do anything for it. You see I, I think Europe out. shares the same grievances. And it's interesting that overnight, China and Germany have seen an increase in that tension. What happened in the last 20 years, Mohammed, trying to bring them on? I think that the U.S. had had an opening. I think where I differ with with the professor, and it's an important one, I don't think it's going to lead to a pickup in business investment. I think that the uncertainty is still out there, and what we're going to see is simply a repositioning internally, politically, of both sides to get ready for the next phase of the trade tension. You know, Steve Bannon brought up an interesting point, something I hadn't considered before, just the idea that if USMCA passes, would that actually increase business investment here in, in North America? I think so. I think what you're going to see over time is businesses focusing more on production in the U.S. and in North America. And to the extent that they're involved in China, you're going to hear this phrase over and over again, in China for China. So, yes, base yourself in China to meet the Chinese Except markets. For selling there. Right. Yeah, for selling there. Yeah. But this notion that you will base yourself there and feed the rest of the world, that is going to be increasingly questioned by business. Okay, Mohammed will be with us. Uh, Professor Lovely, thank you uh, for being with us as well this morning. Coming up, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, giant leaps into space. NASA is a small fraction of what is going on in space right now, worldwide. Squawk Pod, in space, in space. when we come back. Track Pro. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. Two, one, cue, please. Investment in the space industry has taken one giant leap this decade. For a look at the future of the business of space and more, let's welcome Neil deGrasse Tyson. He is astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History. His new book is called Letters from an Astrophysicist. And Neil, thanks for being here. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me back. We're going to talk about the book in just a moment, but Mm -hmm. let's talk about investment in space because that's what our viewers have been watching and kind of paying very close attention to. What, What do you think about all of the commercialized private and public companies that are now working their way into fill the, the jobs that NASA used to take. Yeah, it should have happened decades ago, really. And uh, most people don't know, you know, when we think of space, we think of NASA, it may be SpaceX. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the value of not only hardware, but business enabled or protected by space assets, it is vastly greater worldwide than anything we've ever put in NASA. Not ever, but in modern times. And so NASA is a small fraction of what is going on in space right now, worldwide. And, and I mean, think about uh, GPS, which was, of course, a military project. Right. Entire industries exist only because of that. 
So that's the future. I mean, it's kind of amazing to me, but I, I will admit it gives me a little bit of pause when you think about all these private companies going into space. It was hard enough to control when it was a few countries that were sending things up there. Yeah. How do we control what's happening in space when, you know, well, that's anybody's what, game? It's why there's regulations. I mean, how do you control airplanes and make sure they don't fall out of the sky? You know, Are there we, enough regulations for space right now? No. <laughs> well, I, it, you know, it's a, a little bit of a Wild West. And, you know, what happens if you put up a satellite and I put up one and then my satellite irritates your satellite right. with my magnetic field? I just field. think about all the space junk that's up there. Oh, an oh, astronaut oh, who came in one time and said that's what he worried about most when he was in space. That I, space junk would puncture. I think that's why aliens actually haven't visited us, because they've seen our <laughs> space junk orbiting. <laughs> so, Neil, there's two elements of that. One, of regulation. One is so much junk around. Yes. But the other one is that in addition to enabling good things, you enable bad actors. Yes. So at what point does regulation react to the enabling of bad actors? It's hard, and I think that's kind of the point of a space force. Normally when we think of a branch of the military, you think, oh, there's an invading army coming across your borders. But uh, a military force also ought to be protecting your assets. And the larger our assets in space, again, not only the value of the hardware itself, but the commerce it enables, then the more you would need such a thing. And so the Space Force has actually been on the table for quite some time. Although, big, are you a big proponent of it? I, I, I don't tell people what to do, but I just alert them of the values or the, 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 the pluses and minuses of it. Uh, there's always been a space command within the Air Force, and right. it's been there for decades. I mean, we've had uh, spy satellites and things, and then, uh, this, so that's not a are new... Are you surprised that there hasn't been any military action in space? Meaning, if you think of the politics of space... Well, it depends what you mean by military action. If right. I have a satellite and then you are a bad actor and you put up another satellite that, you know, whose magnetic field disrupts my operations, that's, no, it's not warriors fighting each other, right. but it's you interfering with my commerce. But what about allowing bad actors to have incredible mapping of places? I mean, just, just allowing this notion of asymmetric conflict and suddenly the weak force is much stronger because... That's, that's been the history of war. I mean, that's not new... It's not a new thing. So you don't think this... If this someone invents a bow and arrow and you don't have one, that's asymmetric advantage. Then you have a bow and arrow, now no, we move on. We're not preventing uh, another country necessarily from putting up particular satellites, are we? No, unless, in our judgment, that satellite has the purpose of disrupting our operations. And mm-hmm. so part of what it is to have free access to space is free access, free, free uh, undisturbed commerce, uh, and, and the like. So, yeah, all of these, all this matters, and that's what I mean. It's kind of a wild west. Yeah, it's, it, I think it will shake itself out, but it will require sort of international agreement and cooperation. All right, I want to shift gears to something that I saw that you tweeted about recently, where you got into it a little bit with Elon Musk. You just raised the point that, uh, as a from a physics perspective, there were some questions about what happened with his Cybertruck towing the oh. F Ford One Fifty. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 oh, I, go I, ahead. So, so I think a zillion people saw that video. Yeah. And as a video, it was quite impressive. It pulled the F-150 backwards while its wheels were spinning. But the bay of the F-150 was completely empty. Right. And if, if, you're trying to, if your drivetrain has no weight over it, then a child could pull it uphill. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little. But so had that... By the way, you've seen suburban people who have F-150s who want to shovel your snow. Mm-hmm. They load the, the, the back of the truck with piles of snow so that you can have traction. So it was not a fair contest. And you, told, pointed, I, you pointed that out, and, and Elon Musk responded. Yes, he did. I have a rear What's your en- relationship with I have, a, I have a rear engine car, 
So I'll, I don't need front-wheel drive because I can have snow tires on the back. Right, because the weight of the engine exactly. now is over the drivetrain. It's the same phenomenon. Yes, that's, that's really what it is. So they, I could have d- done your tweet, and I don't need no stinking PhD. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I needed a PhD either, but a lot of people were surprised by it. Yeah. Neil, I want to talk about your book. It's sure. called Letters from an Astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. You have lots and lots of people who write to you, ask you questions about space, about physics, about all kinds of things, and you actually write back to a lot of them. Yeah, keeping the car analogy, this has been going on under the hood with me and the public for decades, yeah. and it involves topics that generally I don't, I'm not public on. People ask me about God. They ask me about career choices. They ask me about meaning in life, whether it's some low point. And so for me, it's like of a contract. I don't just give them a wiki answer, right? I'm, I want to stand where they are and have some sensitivity to where they're coming from. I think most people have never even met a scientist, much less claim one as their you friend. Have time uh, to explain the duality of light? Of light? You mean uh, a wave-particle duality? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, How can it be both? Yeah, so because our brains are not wired to think of the duality of anything. It's why advertising works. It's it's a massless particle, though? Yes. But but if you accelerate it, it goes to infinite mass. No, no. If you get near the speed of light? light. It only exists at nothing or as the speed of light. And what I'm saying is, it's it's why advertising works when you say, is it it, uh, uh, less filling or is it... Is it a candy or is it a gum? Do you understand general relativity, honestly? Yeah, if you, if you attack it geometrically, you can understand it. Oh, that's it. good. That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, these are hard things. By the way, you don't actually have to understand it. You just have to know that it works and then embrace that and move on. You Otherwise, you, you could be... Time dilation and length contract and length contract. But those are both so hard to they're, understand. They're freaky. And you go into the quantum world, that's even that's freaky. I mean. People ask yeah. these questions in the book. And yeah, it's freaky. You read a brief history of time and understand anything after the first paragraph? <laughs> I thought some of that, I can say this now because he's gone, but I thought some of that could have been explained a little, a little you more think? accessibly. You think? Um, yeah. I mean, All right, we have, we have to go. So <laughs> okay. I guess we're not going to get to the bottom of these things. Uh, anyway. uh, not in the next 30 Stay seconds. Stay curious, though. That's you're the only looking. way to Are you an atheist? Fault. Totally. I'm an, I, count, I count myself as an agnostic. Okay. Because I do think I don't that think atheists say, I thought you were an atheist. I well, don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think we're, we're, we're not in a position to just say unequivocally that there's no higher power. I just yeah, I, and I never have. Yeah, I, good. I say, well, don't. Don't now. If the high power that you have requires that the universe is 6,000 years old, I will say well, that is an course. objectively false I mean, study. I know it. I understand carbon dating. I mean, <laughs> yeah, okay. I got it. All right, coming <laughs> up. Dr. Tyson, the book yeah. is Letters from an Astrophysicist. Thanks for All coming right. in. Good, good to see you guys again. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. If you want to see Becky's 1998 Wall Street Journal front page story, check out our Twitter feed at Squawk CNBC. She has a how-to guide on how to buy things on Amazon. You know what? I should, I should read that. <laughs> to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, Subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.